0: Reading is Ruth, chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, Who is that young woman belonging to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why? Have I found such favor in your eyes that you noticed me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. The word of the Lord.
1: The Lord be with you. I just put my sermon in upside down. Who knows what might happen from here? (laughs) Today's story is a story of love. It begins with this statement God has a plan for your life. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever wondered whether it was true? Have you ever wondered how you could access that plan? Or have you ever stood in the middle of complete devastation and wondered, expletive deleted, now what? I'm not talking about the global suffering and massive trauma of something like the pandemic. I'm talking about a specific time in your life when you were just waltzing along and somebody pulled the dance floor out from under you. Last week, Eric introduced us to two persons who experienced all of that and more. Two women, Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, both widows, childless, in a culture where to be without a man meant that you were not only living in grief, but you were also living under the shadow of your own death. You see, in that place, in those days, women were considered worthless, and widows even more so. Food, clothing, shelter, safety, any sense of community or any sense of a future or any hope at all was outside their ability to provide without a man, a husband, a father, a son, a brother, an uncle, somebody to get those things for them. On her own, without a man's power and position and protection, a woman, especially a widow, wasn't even an integer. She was just a placeholder. So what's the plan now for Naomi and Ruth? That was their existential crisis. And I don't think that crisis, in fact, I know that crisis, is not limited to women in ancient Israel. Because I don't know about you, and I have certainly never experienced the devastation they had experienced, but I have asked myself more than once Who am I when there's nothing left but me? Who am I when there's nothing left but me? Well, the answer to that question depends on whom you ask. If you ask Naomi, whose life had been damaged apparently beyond repair, I don't think she would have known what to say. You see, the entire foundation of her life, her culture, her family, her people, was built on confidence in the unfailing love of God for his people. That's what they lived on. I mean, after all, hadn't the psalmist written... Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. She knew that. Hadn't the prophet written, God's compassion never fails because of the Lord's great love? God is always good to those who put their hope in Him. She had, and now she had not. Those verses were talking about a special kind of love, not the passing love that goes away, not just an emotion, but a love that is faithful, loyal, a love that is gracious and merciful and kind and always extending itself toward the other's good. That was the said love of God the love that had been the hope and confidence of the entire nation of Israel and of every person in it. So, now what? If God alone is sovereign, if God alone is the source of blessings, who can we blame but God for sorrows? And so Naomi cries, The Lord has turned his hand against me. The Lord has afflicted me. Of course, since sorrow came from the loss of loved ones, Naomi might have thought that the way to turn it around was to find someone else new to love. That's what she had said in the scripture we heard last week where she was telling her daughters-in-law, go back to your homeland And she says, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes you get a new husband. You get children, your fortunes are restored, you're no longer a fifth wheel at a dinner party. You feel whole again. Somebody just sweeps in and saves the day and restores life back to the way it always was and the way that you secretly believe you deserve. So in the story of Ruth and Naomi, are we going to expect a hero anytime soon? Well, we'll see. At the end of last week's reading, the end of chapter 1 of Ruth, we hear just a glimpse, just a hint of a possible Yes, because Ruth and Naomi have walked all the way back from Moab back to Bethlehem, the hometown of Naomi's husband and her clan. And when they arrive, they arrive at the beginning of the harvest, which was the most prosperous and fruitful time of the year. So things might be looking up. And then at the beginning of today's reading, our interest is piqued just a little further because chapter 2 begins with a tease. We meet a man, a man of standing, whose very name means strength and swiftness. So, money, prestige, maybe even a little physique. But before we decide whether to swipe right on this guy, we need to know more about him. (laughs) And we definitely need to know more about the new girl in town. And that is Ruth. Now, Ruth is kind of a mystery girl. Mystery woman, pardon me. We don't know much about her, really. We know she's from Moab. We know she's a widow, okay? We know she's childless, okay? But we don't know what she looks like. We don't know what she thinks. We don't hear from her. We heard a lot about Naomi's feelings, but we really never hear Ruth's interior monologue, ever. And we never hear her prayers, At this point. But when Ruth does speak, the very first words we hear from her on that pivotal day on the road of return back to Bethlehem, we learn what Ruth is all about. When her mother in law is repeatedly trying to persuade her and her other daughter in law to return to their native homes, Ruth finally declares to Naomi, I hear you. But no matter what you say, I'm going with you. And she continues with life-changing and life-giving words. She says, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. She's not just moving her household. She's not just taking her bags over to Naomi's house. She's moving her heart. She says, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And last week, Eric says, those are words that seal it. That is a declaration of chesed love that echoes God. I will be faithful to you. I will be merciful and generous toward you. I will never leave you. Never fear. I will always act on your good. And Ruth is as good as her word. She no sooner says that than she sets out walking side by side with the older woman who might very well have had to walk those miles by herself otherwise. The walk is over a week long as far as we can tell. But now we're back in Bethlehem, and we see more of Ruth. Now Ruth doesn't owe her former mother-in-law anything, because once the person's dead, it's over, legally. She doesn't owe Naomi anything. Naomi had made that very clear on the road. She's a non-entity, she says so. But here's the surprising thing about Ruth, and how she demonstrates the hesed love of God. She honors Naomi's dignity and offers to take care of her. She doesn't just sit around the house waiting for Naomi to, you know, ask her for help. She doesn't just run out on Naomi, you know, doing the town. She actually goes to Naomi and shows respect and kindness by saying, May I go out and work for food? She lifts Naomi up by asking her permission. See, when you think you're nothing... It means something to be treated like somebody. And they, even that is an act of love. Just acknowledging that it was Naomi's home. She had a right to say no, but she really didn't. Bear in mind, these women have nothing. I, I don't think you and I can imagine this, or at least I can't. They didn't have any leftover pizza in the refrigerator, no refrigerator. They didn't have any dry goods on the shelves. They had been gone from this place. Naomi and her husband and sons had been gone for over 10 years. No social security. No insurance benefit. And believe me, the kindness of neighbors eventually dwindles. So they're on the edge of starvation. I cannot imagine that. I mean, I see it on TV when you see people. You think, my God what would that be? They were there. And so when Ruth asks Naomi's permission to go and work as a field hand, something else you and I probably can't imagine, she was ignoring her own exhaustion, she was ignoring her own grief, and she was working out of love and compassion for a woman who believed God didn't love her anymore. And here's the way harvest was. It's important we understand two things. First of all, what the Word of God had said. Through Moses, God had given the law about the harvest and the poor. And here's the way the law reads. This is in Leviticus and also Deuteronomy. Now, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field. And when you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner the fatherless and the widow, so that I, the Lord your God, may bless you. That was the law of God. That was the law of the land. Every man who owned land, and every man owned land, every man who owned land knew that law. And then here's how the harvest process went. This is the next thing we need to understand. The harvesting process was like this. First of all, when the fields were ripe, of course, hired men would gather, they would walk the fields and gather grain up in armfuls and sickle it off at the base, cut it down and lay it down. And then after them, hired women would go through and bind up those bundles into sheaves. That's what the word sheave means, sheaf, sheaves. And the sheaves would be taken to the threshing floor where they would be winnowed and sifted. It's a long process. And only after that were the gleaners, the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows, allowed to come through and pick up whatever was left. That's the way it was. So when Ruth gets to the field, she can tell by looking that she and Naomi are going to need more than the leftovers to survive. Well, She doesn't have anything to give at this point except something she wasn't supposed to give. In ancient Hebrew, the word widow means one without voice, unable to speak. And so widows in ancient Hebrew society were supposed to be silent. But Ruth spoke up. She used what she had, her words, out of love for Naomi, out of a desire to keep her alive. She goes to the foreman and says, please let me glean with the hired women. See where she puts herself there? She moves herself from here to here. Now, we don't know whether Ruth didn't know the law, I mean, she was a foreigner, or whether she was just being bold, but her request was a surprising and bold request. It took a lot of courage to go up to that man and say, let me do more than the law allows. I don't think I can grasp, I hope you can't, because I hope your experience hasn't included this, but the physical labor that Ruth was letting herself in for. We used to sickle our front yard, or our men did, when I was a child. People used sickles and scythes. We didn't have lawns. We had stuff. <laughs> sickling is hard. And even if you weren't sickling, if you were picking up, you're bending down, you're picking up. You're bending down, you're picking up. I got to stop. You know, that's, <laughs> that's too much. <laughs> you know, I can't do any more of that. She was doing it all day and then carrying the sheaves to the threshing floor and then winnowing and sifting and then carrying the grain back to Naomi. She was doing that for 10 or 12 hours at minimum in the hot sun. This isn't a light labor. This is a lot. I can tell you from personal certainty that no young new widow wants to spend 10 or 12 hours a day at hard labor. What you want to do is lie in the bed, not caring whether you eat or drink, not caring whether you live or die. You just want to turn. But that's not what Ruth did. She sacrificed because chesed is surprising, but it's also sacrificial. She got up and went out out of love. So I'm going to leave her working for a little while and I want to get back to man, okay? It's important because we have to wonder, is Ruth just going to be her own superhero or is there still some work for a man to do? What do you think? I think so. And here's the first thing I love about Boaz, and you're going to love this too. The first thing I love about Boaz is that we meet him on the strength of his character not the shape of his abs. I just love that. (laughs) Right away, we know who Boaz is, even in an unillustrated version of the Bible. And here's how you can tell. Because as it turns out, Ruth is working in Boaz's field. The as it turns out is something we'll talk about in another sermon later on down the road. But the as it turns out, Ruth is working in Boaz's field. Just listen to the greeting between Boaz, the owner, and the people working for him. He says to them, the Lord be with you. When's the last time your boss greeted you like that? If you don't work in a church, and maybe even if you do. (laughs) I've worked in a church a lot. The boss doesn't always say, the Lord be with you. Sometimes he says, what are you doing? But anyway, (laughs) the Lord be with you. And they say back to him, listen to what they say. They say, the Lord bless you. See, between them, between the employer and the employees, they are welcoming the presence of God into their interactions, into their labors. That's amazing. You see, Boaz was rich, absolutely, and he was prestigious, but he was respected because he was righteous. He was a righteous man. Well, when Boaz notices Ruth in the field, he asks who she is. I don't like that language because I don't live in a patriarchal perspective, but he but that was, in, that was of that day. And he says, who does she belong to? And they tell him, this is the Moabite daughter-in-law that came back with Naomi when all their husbands died. And, and he hears more about her. And he also hears about that startling request that she had made, like pushing the limits of the law. Well, in ancient Hebrew, righteousness means strict obedience to the law. Boaz is a righteous man. But Hesed means going beyond obedience all the way to grace. So when Boaz hears her request, that's what he does. He goes even further than the amazing stretching request she had made. He says, Not only can you, are you allowed to, may you glean with my women, when you should have been way back there at the end of the line. You can drink from the water that's been provided for them. And I've told the men not to bother you, literally not to touch you. And I don't want you to go anywhere else. Keep working in my field. Now, if you watch a lot of romantic comedies, you might be concluding that Boaz is interested in Ruth. But I'm going to be serious with you. When you read Scripture, sometimes you bring that into the text. That says more about you than the text. The Bible doesn't say anything about him being infatuated or interested or leering or, you know, no, none of that, absolutely none. We have no reason to think that he's being anything other than faithful and that he understands the law, but amazingly, surprisingly, he understands chesed, the love of God, and he extends it. He extends it to such an extent that Ruth falls down on her knees It says her face to the ground before him. And she says, what would make you notice me? A foreigner. See, she was a foreigner. That's a big deal. And he says, well, I've been told all about everything you did for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live among a people you did not know. And then he blesses her, he says, May the Lord richly reward you. May you be rewarded by the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see, because Boaz was an educated man, he knew the law, men of standing knew the law, he would have immediately recognized Ruth's words of commitment as the same covenant that God had made with Abraham, the patriarch of the people of Israel. When God said to Abraham, lo, those centuries before, leave your country, leave your people and your father's household and go to a land I will show you and I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. You see, Boaz, when he heard about who Ruth was, he knew that Ruth was blessed, and she was going to be a blessing by God. And he said surprises again. Because in a strictly patriarchal society, it is surprising, it is stunning that a man would so respect a woman's word and her worth that he would offer help to her and then give God the glory. Stunning and surprising, the spread and shape of the love of God. Who am I when there's nothing left but me? When I can't live the life I had? When I can't do the thing I thought God made me to do? That's not a woman's question. (laughs) Those are not women's questions. Those are human questions. Those are questions humans ask. And the answer may surprise us because in God's economy, no one is useless. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what has been done to you, everyone in God's economy can receive and live chesed, the love of God to the blessing of others and to the glory of God. And that's God's plan. You wanted to know, didn't you? God's plan is not about who you marry. Get over that. It's not about where you go to college. I'm sorry, God has interests, but he's not up there mapping out a blueprint. This is the plan of God. And then he's going to help you figure out how this is going to work. But God's plan is that his love, his chesed, will flow from God's heart directly to his people and through his people directly to others. That's the plan of God. If you're living like that, you you do you. You go on. You keep doing it, regardless of where you are, who you are, what's happened. That's the touchstone. We know that because Jesus saw that kind of chesed in action one day when he was observing and honoring a widow, putting in her two little less than pennies into the temple treasury. Not much beside all those big givers. But Jesus, the Bible says, called his disciples to him and said, Truly I tell you, this poor woman has put more into the treasury than all the others because they gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. See, that's the picture of love. A poor widow who gave all she had for the love of God. And watching her, who saw her sacrifice and who surprisingly, boldly, sacrificially submitted himself to suffering and death and all in the cause of love and life. You see, that's where it always drives to, Jesus. Ruth lived centuries before Jesus. That's an old story. But she becomes someone important in Jesus' life. We'll hear more about that later. That's a tease. (laughs) This is the promise of God. Though the mountains be shaken. I love that mountain imagery. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed. Yet my unfailing love for you, God says, will not be shaken. Whoo, glory. (laughs) Glory, as they used to say back when I was little. We can trust God's love because, in Eric's immortal words, it never gives up. It never lets go. It never lets you down. Thanks be to God. Amen.